really is. You know, he, uh, he prepares us. As I was saying earlier, sometimes you just got to be ready to step up when called. But, uh, you know, Brother Jake's leading the music. Brother Tom did it on Wednesday. And, and uh, y'all really need to thank him for it because you don't want me doing it. Um, <laughs> that's not self-deprecating. That's just honesty right there. I can't sing. About the only thing, musical instrument I can play is maybe a CD player or a cassette tape. And that's about the extent of it. Um, <clears throat> I have no musical inclination. Uh, my daughter's... Uh, Andrew can play the guitar a little bit if he would try harder, but and <laughs> you just don't try. But you got the ability. The difference between them, I have I have no ability. Um, and they get that I think from Robin. She uh, she's got a lot of musical ability as well. So, uh, but it's a good thing I don't have to do that. And you all should be grateful. Uh, if you could get to uh, Joshua chapter fourteen. This all wanted me to mention that uh, just keep in the back of your minds here coming up in a couple weeks, I believe that would be the 20th, uh, in the evening service, we may have a business meeting uh, regarding the house in the back of the property. Uh, Pastor will have more to say on that and, and when he gets back, but just kind of keep it in your minds that that may be coming up. So prepare for that if you have any questions or anything you would like to ask at that point, maybe jot them down now and, and think about those things. But more importantly, just be in prayer about it. Um, we've got some time to pray about this thing, what the Lord would have us to do. Um, again, it might be a good opportunity, or it may not be the road he wants us to go down, but uh, he'll reveal that through prayer. So, um, you know, it, it seems like it'd be a, a good thing. Uh, it seems like the timing is right, um, but we'll just have to wait on him for to be sure. Uh, I'm going to read just a few verses here, but uh, I'm going to read from verses 6 to 15, there, chapter 14. <laughs> Uh, the message is really primarily only coming out of one verse, but I just wanted to get a little bit before and after. Starting in verse 6, it says, Then the children uh, of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses the man of God concerning me and thee and Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again, as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, and, said, and he said these forty, years, forty and five years even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced, if so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. And Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron was before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for those that shed blood that we can have this today, Lord. And I pray that we don't take that lightly. Pray that we don't take it for granted. Keep it in the four thoughts of our minds, Lord. Um, as we're going to, uh, as been said already, we're going to, in times like these, we're going to need more of your word. We're going to need more of you, Lord God. So I just pray that um, you just move me out of the way now. Speak through me. Speak to your people. Um, Lord, this isn't something I take lightly. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity. But I'm also in front of all these people. I ask you to get me out of the way, Lord. If I do or say something, I shouldn't. Uh, I don't want to be a stumbling block, and I don't want to say something wrong. So, Lord, I just ask now, I just ask you that you just uh, get the glory and honor from everything that we do and say here today, Lord. And then just, uh, just fill us with your word, and I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, this is, um, this is a big deal, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I appreciate Pastor allowing me, and then Brother Andrew's going to be preaching tonight and Wednesday. Um, that's not something I know that either of us take lightly. Uh, it's a big deal, and we're, we're grateful to be able to do it. Um, I also know that 
if misused, that's something that we could lose the, the opportunity, lose the privilege of doing. So it's certainly not something that I would ever want to happen. Um, so, you know, I know the other day, uh, you know, I was saying I was pretty dogmatic in, in defense of this book, and, and that has not changed. I truly am. Uh, I just, the more I get into it, the more I read it, the more it speaks to me, the more I realize this is the true word of God, and all the others are just, really just garbage. Uh, I believe you can get saved out of them, but you're not going to grow. I know you're not going to grow because I, I messed around in those other versions for about four or four and a half years myself, and there was absolutely no growth there. Um, Lord got me back, and there was a little bit of time there of, uh, of healing and, and showing me some things and getting my mind turned around, but then I noticed there was some growth, and part of that was being in the right church and hearing the right preaching and teaching. So this thing is potent, and it's, it's important, so don't take it lightly. And, and if you ever get an opportunity, there's a little little book out there called The Trail of Blood, I believe. And it talks about the men that had died and, and, and shed blood throughout the years that you would have this thing in front of you today in, in defense of this word. So it's, it's not something to, uh, certainly not something to take lightly. Um, as I was getting ready to do this, this, this message, at first I thought I was just going to be doing Sunday school and, and Sunday morning. Then I was talking to pastor and found out he was actually going to be gone two Wednesdays. So Andrew was looking at his schedule, and, and uh, we were, you know, he, he's right there on the precipice of, you know, going from attempt to full-time and, and just working things out with his schedule. So I said, well, I can cover this this past Wednesday. And when I started going through these things, I realized it wasn't an accident the way these messages came together. Um, the message you heard Wednesday about uh, a testimony, that was actually one I had preached a few, about three weeks ago in the ADC a slightly different approach, but it was it was pretty close. Um, but the Lord, I believe, put that on my heart. And he said, "Okay, let's let's use this same passage. We're just going to approach it just slightly different. Do a, a minor course correction." Um, and then he'd already started working on me on on Gideon. And what I come to realize was the first message was about a testimony, not so much a spoken, but the the testimony of your life, the way you the way you live. Gideon, we looked at certain characteristics, and I didn't get through them all, and I knew I wouldn't. There was a lot of material there, and uh, I apologize. I know I rushed through what we did cover. That's probably worth a month of Sunday's worth of material that I had written down there and in those chapters, uh, probably even longer. But I hit some high points there, and, and there at the very end, there was a little bit of a warning to make sure, you know, you can have all the right characteristics, and you can still be doing what God would have you to do, but you still got to be careful. You don't get out ahead of God, and always, you know, just... Stay close to him. And then uh, the, the message I'm going to about to preach here, this has to do with character. Now, the funny thing about this message is it's, it's probably been rolling around in my head for a year and a half to two years. And it's always been there. I, I stuck a pin in it, and it's been there all this time. I just haven't. The Lord's never put it upon my heart to preach it. And when he was bringing all this together, and he said, okay, now is the time to preach that, that message. And then now I can look back, and I can kind of see how he... He created this, this, this kind of a little mini-series of, of opportunities uh, to preach about your testimony, characteristics, and then the two of those together come together to form a character. And we're going to look at the character of, of Caleb today. And I'm going to apologize right now. As I was going through this, I kept getting Caleb and Joshua confused. Now, I'm going to try real hard not to do that. But just realize, it's in the book of Joshua, but I'm reading, I'm talking mostly about Caleb. So if I say Joshua, understand, chances are really good uh, that I mean Caleb. Um, I want to focus on verse 12. And when I, when I was reading through verse 12 there, there's three parts of that verse. And that's where the bulk of our message is going to come today. And I'm going to look at, just, let's look at the first part of that there. It says, now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. So if you would go back, you don't have to now, but if you want to write it down, you can look at it later. If you would go back into Numbers 14.24 and Deuteronomy 1.36, you'll see where God had given him that, that land. And furthermore, he had said, because thou wholly followed the Lord thy God. He had, he had used the same words that we had just read a little bit about holy following God. Not holy as in holy God, but holy as in completely. He was completely following God. And that, he said, because you have done that, and he was making reference to when they went to a spy out the land. And, and only two of them gave a good report when they got back. The other ten, they said, man, we, we just can't do this. The, the people were too big, they're too numerous, they're too strong. We just can't do this. 
And, and Caleb and Joshua said, come on, man, let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. And, and they were chomping at the bit. And the nation followed, rather than following uh, the words of, of, of Caleb and Joshua, and rather than trusting God, they, they believed the ten. And it cost them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And finally, they're at the point where they got to cross over. God fulfilled their promise, his promise to them. And now they're starting to divide up the land. And the first thing I want to look at here is, is when, we came up, when he came up to this point, Caleb, he had an opportunity, he had a choice. He had a choice to make. We all have choices. Every day we're, we're faced with different choices to make. And typically there's an easy choice and there's a more difficult choice. There's the right and there's the wrong. And what I want to point out here is the easy path isn't always the right path. He said, give me this mountain. And we're talking about a mountain here. Now, I didn't look it up. I don't know topographically what the, 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 the topograph looks or the, the topography looks like. I don't know what the elevation, but he called it a mountain. He didn't call it a plain. He didn't call it a field. It is a mountain. It is rugged terrain. It is, it is probably not conducive for growing a whole lot of crops and, and that sort of thing. Uh, to to, to uh, have animals on it, you probably have to pick and choose where they can um, graze. So what I get from this, this, this is a mountain. Okay, this is not something that's going to be easy. Matthew 7, uh, 13, 14, Jesus tells you, he says, Don't enter, uh, he says, Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So he tells us, don't always take the easy path. Don't always take that wide path. Take the narrow path. Take the straight path. Take the, the one that, that looks a little more difficult because in the end, it'll be worth it. Just because it looks inviting doesn't mean it always is. You know, the grass always looks greener on the other side until you get to the other side. And then it usually doesn't look that green. Uh, my yard probably, and this is the best, my wife has put a lot of work into it this year, and this is probably best it's looked in years. But from the end of the street, my yard looks pretty good in years past. When you get in my yard, my yard hasn't always looked so good. So, you know, the neighbors might be thinking, man, their yard looks nice and lush and green until they come over and they realize, oh, there's brown patches here. That we got, you know, there's places where um, grubs have eaten up and killed the roots and whatever. Um, but, you know, sometimes just because something looks a certain way doesn't mean it's actually going to come out to be that way. Um, I think of Abram and Lot. We talked a little bit about Abram the other day and how he came up to, and, and, and I'm going to say right here that Abram offered Lot a choice that he never should have done, never should have given him. God promised that land to Abram. He didn't promise it to Lot. And Abram was just, uh, he, he, he offered, he extended something to Lot that really wasn't his to give. He said, Lot, you look. He said, when the herdsmen were starting to struggle and they were starting to fuss and fight and and, and feud a little bit because the land wasn't big enough to support all their animals. He said, you pick, you choose. Whichever way you go, I'll go the opposite way. That was Abram's land grant. That was his promise from God. He should have said, I'll choose, and you go the opposite way from me. But he didn't do that. He was, I guess he was trying to be kind. Um, but he gave Lot that choice. And we see how that really didn't work out for him. See, Lot, he based his choice off of Nice, lush, green fields, plenty of land for his animals to graze, well-watered, cities nearby with marketplaces, probably, you know, maybe there's some trade going on there. He could take the, the wool and sell it at market. The animals he could sell, he could sell them. He, he, he was thinking, you know, he was thinking of the Benjamins, as the younger kids like. Did you guys say that? No, no you probably don't. He was thinking of the money. That's all he really wanted was the money. Um, he, was thinking, he was looking at it the wrong way. And we see how that turned out. Uh, he was run out of the cities. Um, he had to leave. Uh, his wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, you know, he had fled with his daughters to the mountains. And if you've continued to read on in that chapter, you realize that that too had, had uh, poor circumstances or bad circumstances and, and some things that resulted from that uh, with him and his daughters. So he made the, the wrong choice based off of the wrong motives. See, he wasn't looking to serve God. He was just looking to stuff his wallet full of some money. So he made the wrong choice. Abram, now he advanced a few years, and God gave him a choice to make. And basically it was, I want you to go, and I want you to offer up your son Isaac. 
Now, at that point, he could have tried to turn around and run the other way. You know, we see how that worked out for Jonah. God prepared a fish and vomited out on the land. I don't know what he'd have done with Abram. Maybe he would have prepared a big camel. Camels like to spit anyway, so maybe he'd have prepared him a big camel and run him over to where you needed to be and spit him out. I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because Abram didn't make the wrong choice. Abraham made the right choice, and he did what God had told him to do. And he got to that point. Now, now you talk about a hard choice. I mean, he told him, I want you to sacrifice your son. That's not an easy thing to do. He had to put something, and there's been messages, so many messages preached on that, but he had to put something that was very near and dear to him on the altar and be willing to give it up to God. Basically, he said, God, you're way more important to me, and my son's important, and you promised him to me, but if this is what you require of me, then I'm willing to give up my Isaac for you. I'm not going to go into that because you've heard that before, and that's a really good message. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have to give up an Isaac when the Lord asks you to. But what was, what was important about that, when he was con- conversing with Isaac, he said, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And what he didn't realize is he was probably looking at it from a practical sense in that there would be a sacrifice provided. And there was. He said the, a ram was caught in a thicket. And there was a physical, literal sacrifice which he could, he'd offered up. But it was also true in the literal prophetic sense. God did provide himself, him, provide himself a lamb. He didn't provide for himself. He provided himself in the form of Jesus Christ as that sacrificial lamb. So Abraham had, had said something that he may not have understood the significance of the words that he spoke. See, I think a lot of times God controls our speech and he says something. There's been times where I've, I've said some things and I'm like, I don't know where that came from. I'm pretty sure that that wasn't me that thought of that or said that. And I believe that sometimes the Lord steps in and he, 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 he changes our, our speech and changes our tongue a little bit to say things the way he wants us to say them. And uh, so you know, Abraham was correct. God did provide himself in the form of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we, we talked about how he was in the Old Testament. We talk about now how he's in the New Testament in the form of a, of a of a baby that would eventually go to the cross. He was wrapped in those swaddling clothes. He was born in order to die. And that's what he, he did. He provided himself in the form of Jesus Christ. So Abram, Abraham had made the right choice. The Bible says he was imputed righteousness by his faith, and he was justified by his works. See, that's the Old Testament form of salvation, if you want to call it that. Faith plus works. And you go to James, you don't have to turn there, but James 2, 21 through 23 will spell that out. See, it was his faith and it was his works, and together that, that completed his Old Testament salvation. Then he just had to keep on keeping it. See, we don't have to do that. You know how easy we got it? Uh, we, we take that thing for granted, but we don't, have to work, we don't have to work for it. We don't have to work to keep it. We don't have, to fear, we don't have the fear of losing it. All we have to do is, is trust Jesus Christ. Amen. We've got it made. I know sometimes we think we have it hard, but in some ways, we, maybe we do when you start looking at the internet and the billboards and all the, the foolishness that we have to put up with. But when you talk about in terms of salvation, I mean, it can't get no easier than that. Uh, we see here that the mountains that Caleb chose kept him, in a needing, kept him in a position of needing to rely on God. You know, that's one thing when you're always taking the easy way, when you're, when you're so sure that you can accomplish it on your own, You've completely written God out of that equation. And by choosing these mountains, by choosing this path, Caleb said, you know what? If I'm going to do this, it's going to be through God that this is going to happen. It's not going to be anything that I do. And he was constantly reminded of that. I'm thinking if you're climbing up a mountain, if you're climbing up a hill, every step you take is requiring a little bit of effort. Every, every, every time you take a step forward, you're, you're going against gravity. You're having to work on that thing. You're, you're just constantly... There's a, there's a resistance there. There's, some, there's a pushback there every step of the way. And that's, he said, I need that resistance so that I can keep my focus on God. So I can keep reminding myself, I can't do this through my own strength. I need to rely on him to get me up this hill. Um, taking the easy way out, I believe, will make you soft. If you don't ever exert yourself, if you don't ever push yourself, if you don't ever try... You'll just get soft. Um, when I, was, I went down, and I thank you for all your prayers. I requested prayer on Wednesday night that I could get down there uh, to Jacksonville to be there for the graduation and that I could get back in here in time for Sunday morning. 
Um, and I appreciate uh, that that worked out really well. There was a little bit of a, a concern there Thursday. I got an email saying my first flight out of Dayton was going to be delayed 54 minutes, which meant that my connecting flight, now instead of having you know, an hour and four minutes or whatever it was to make that connecting flight, it now went down to 10 minutes. Well, I'd never been to Dulles Airport, but I was pretty certain it was a little bit bigger than yeah. Dayton. Yeah. And as it turned out, my arrival gate was in Terminal A. My departure gate was in Terminal Z. Now, I don't know what that means as far as the airport, but I know from the alphabet there must have been at least 26 other terminals or 24 other terminals in between the two, I guess. I don't know. All I know is it seemed like an awful far away. So I, I, get, on the, uh, I get on the Internet, and I, I wish it was just a number to call. I couldn't even find a number to call these people. I had to do it all through a chat. That's bad. Anyway, I, I chat with this individual, and um, we get it all worked out, and he gets me on the 1230 flight. So now I'm looking at a four-hour layover in Dulles after I get there. I mean, well, I'm planning on taking my computer anyway. It'll give me some opportunity. I'll go find me some coffee somewhere. I'll get me a little booth. I'll plug in, and I'll work on the message. Well, it's, it's, and I'm gonna, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself like I did in Sunday school. But, you know, God just has a way of working these things out. You know, nothing is too insignificant. There's certainly nothing too big for him. But sometimes we look at it and say, well, that's just too small. God's not even concerned. That's not the case at all. Um, but more to the point right now, I had to get through Dulles in a hurry. Okay, And as it turned out, the flight out of Dayton was delayed 54 minutes, but we arrived 30 minutes earlier than what they said. You say, well, how did that happen? I can tell you exactly how that happened. On the way to Jacksonville, out of Dulles, the pilot came over. He said, hey, we're going to arrive early. He said, this is unusual. He said, we've picked up some tailwinds. He said, normally we have headwinds. We're, we're running into it. He said, well, we've got some tailwinds today. I'm thinking, I think the Lord sent tailwinds from maybe just Vandalia. I don't know how far north they started. But I think he sent them all the way down there just to get me to Dallas a little bit, or, or to D.C. just a little bit early. And um, so I'm, I'm going through, I'm like, man, I, now I have like 34 minutes or whatever to get to this flight, 44 minutes, whatever it was. I have, I, you know, to, to, to span the whole alphabet and find where Z is. So, man, I am, I'm just about doing everything but, but running. Okay, I don't run. I'm not built for that. But I can walk sort of kind of fast. You ever remember years ago when they used to open the mall up early? You'd have all the mall walkers, and they'd kind of walk through the mall real fast. That was kind of like where I was at. Okay, I'm walking about as fast as I can go without breaking out into a run. And I come to this area where there's an escalator, two escalators over here coming down, and two escalators over here going up, and there's steps in the middle. I'm thinking, well, I can take the easy path, and I can get on that escalator, and, you know, a minute and two minutes later, I'll still be on that escalator. Or I can take those steps, two or maybe even three at a time. You know what I did? I wanted to get to that terminal. It was real important I got that earlier connecting flight because once I got there, because I'm, now I had transferred flights, now I had to get to the ticket agent and I had to say, hey, you got room so I can get back on this original flight I was supposed to be on? So you know what? I took those steps in the middle two or three at a time and I got up there. I didn't take the easy path. I took the, he said, that's a silly little, sure it is. I know it's a little illustration. I know in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but that's just the little things that God presents us with. Little choices that we make all throughout our day that amount to something. They add up. Little choices like that, making the right small choice time after time will lead to making the right big choice when it's in front of you. So I knew that the escalator would slow me down, so I, I got up those stairs, and I got, and I, I'll tell you how close it was. I got there, I talked to the ticket agent, and within a few minutes, they started boarding that aircraft. I mean, it was that close. So I got everything swapped over, and, and I got on board that plane, and I got down there uh, at the original time. And I got to spend a little bit of time with Ben and Faith, and we went out and we grabbed some lunch. And uh, we had a little bit of time just to fellowship and hang out beforehand. And uh, it, it, was, it was a blessing. And I even caught like a 20-minute nap. And I, that, was, that was very much needed as well. Um, but see, the Lord provides that little thing. Here I was starting to get a little nervous and fret, like, well, how's this going to work out? And I'm like, well, okay, I'll get in a little, a little later than I had anticipated, but I'll make the best of it. I'll, I'll work on my message in the Sunday school lesson at the airport, and it'll be okay. And that was, I was fine with that. But he said, you know what, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll get you in there early, just because I can. I mean, he reversed the direction of the wind, even if it was just for a few hours. You know how much that meant to me? He didn't have to do that, but he did.
Um, every step that Caleb took to claim that land was a difficult step. It required effort. It required more effort than if it had been just in a nice, fertile, lush plain. So he had to work for it. And he consciously took, made that decision. Another thing we see here in this, this first part of this verse is he wasn't ashamed, he wasn't afraid, and he wasn't hesitant to claim that, that which God had given him. And neither should we be. Don't, don't be ashamed to take something God has said, this is yours, I'm giving this to you. Don't be afraid to claim that. Don't be afraid of what the world is going to say. Don't be ashamed of that thing. Don't hide it. We talked about Abram wandering freely in the land. He was all over the place. He had south in the land, and he was just checking it out. He was building altars. He was, he was calling on the name of the Lord. He was offering sacrifices. He was just having a grand old time in what the Lord had given him. And we can freely partake in what God has given us. You know, I think if we just kept that in our mind, freely partake in what God has given us and be like Abram. Just wander around in whatever God has given us, calling on his name, offering up our sacrifices. Now, don't, don't go kill an animal, but sacrifice some things that mean something to you. TV show, maybe a book, or, or whatever it might be. Whatever something, whatever it is that is distracting you from Jesus Christ and taking away your... Put that thing on the altar of the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, this is kind of getting between me and you right now, and I really don't need it there. So it's yours. Take it. We can have some victory if we do that. Through the shed blood at Calvary, we have liberty. We have victory, and we have promises. Don't live a defeated life, even once the trials and the tribulations settle in. And they will come. Um, overlooking uh, Omaha and Utah beaches. Normandy, uh, June 6, 1944, there was, there was this, this uh, cliff, this it's a 100-foot, sure-foot uh, cliff, and it's called, I'm gonna, it's French, so I'm probably saying this wrong, Point de Hoc. So from here, the Germans had gun emplacements, and they had soldiers, and they had tunnels and, and bunkers, and they could fire. They had, they had a great field of vision. They could see all the beaches, Omaha and Utah, and they could fire on the Americans trying to land. And they were creating a lot of trouble for them. They were killing a lot of soldiers, and they were, they were hitting the landing craft. And the Allies knew of this. And they said, well, we've got to plan this invasion just right. It, it, a lot of it depended on the, 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 the moon, the cycle of the moon, and coming in at the right time of day because the tide had to be right. And when they approached the beach, they see they had to climb this thing. They had to scale this cliff. And they used ladders. They used ropes. Whatever means the rangers could, could use, they had trained for this. They planned for this. And they got their, their landing craft in, and they, they erected the ladders, and they climbed this thing. And they got to the top. And they said, now when tourists visit this site, they said there's two things, two main impressions. When tourists visit, there are two things that they're impressed by. They said, for your normal everyday tourist that just, you know, wants to visit this area and hear about what the rangers did and see this area where so many uh, Americans lost their lives and where this, where this battle was fought. And they said they show up and they said they are impressed by the fact that the rangers could get to the top, that they were able to scale that cliff. They said, however, the second group of people are the military strategists. They're the ones that have a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. Maybe they're historians that are deeply rooted and they know this stuff like the back of their hand. They spend a lot of time reading on this. They said what they're impressed by is what the rangers did after they reached the top. See, folks, just climbing the obstacle, getting over the obstacle isn't always enough. If those rangers had simply gotten to the stop and stopped and did nothing more, then the job would have been unfinished. The guns would have kept firing. The soldiers on the beach would have kept dying. And what would have been the point of them being up there? See, they had to continue the fight once they overcame the obstacle. They had to keep pressing on. There's always more to do. Okay, don't, don't live a defeated life. God has a plan for you, and there's always something for you to do. Don't quit. Don't be defeated. Don't wander around in self-doubt. Do what he's called you to do. When the obstacles are there, overcome them and keep pressing on. And then lastly, we see here in this same verse, not lastly, lastly, but lastly for this part of the verse, uh, if you're going to ask something to God, be sure to ask of the right thing. Don't ask, as the Bible says, for something just to consume it upon your own lusts. Uh, we look at Solomon. He asked for wisdom to properly lead God's people. 
Uh, David asked to have a clean heart created within him. But conversely, Judas asked for 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. Herodias' daughter asked for the head of John the Baptist in a charger. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. Be careful what you're asking for and make sure you're asking for it for the right reason. Make, for, make sure you're gonna, that, that, that God's going to be edified by that thing, when, whatever it is your request is. When he said, now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day, he was just simply asking to be given what God had already promised him. He wasn't asking for anything more. He wasn't asking for anything less. He said, I just want what God said he'd give me. That's all I'm asking for. Let's look at the second part of that verse. It says, For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. We see here that Caleb, he wasn't influenced by ungodly fears. You know, what I found out is when you're trying to do something for God, when you're trying to live for Jesus Christ, when you're trying to, really trying to do the right thing, the world will always tell you what you can't do. They'll always tell you how incapable you really are. And Satan will fill your head with those thoughts too. You don't know how, every time I preach, without fail, I say to myself, this is the absolute last time I'm going to preach. I'm done. I'm horrible. There's no re-. And all that is is Satan telling me, man, you can't do this. What are you even doing up there? And then I'll go to God and I'll say, I'm, I'm, he says, I didn't tell you to quit. He said, you got to get up there next time. Well, I said, when's the next time? So I can get ready. He said, I'll let you know when it happens. It might be that evening. I mean, it, it's been as short as a couple hours preparation, or it may be a week or two. In this case, I think we had a couple weeks since last men's breakfast. Pastor told me and uh, Brother Andrew to get ready. And that goes back to what I said before. Just be ready when you're called on. But don't let the world tell you you can't do it. Don't let the devil tell you you can't do it. If God's told you to do it, then they're in no position to tell you you can't. And they're certainly in no position to tell you you shouldn't. The Bible's full of can-do's. Just a, just a handful of them, you can be thankful, even in the hard times and even for the hard times. Now, what I'm about to say, you've probably heard it before, and uh, you're probably, if I you know, get, get, continue to get the, option, or the opportunity to preach, you're probably going to hear it again. You say, well, why? Why you keep rehashing? Because what I'm about to say is something that was, I look at it now, and it was a crucial building block in my Christian walk. It was, it was monumental for me. When my mom was sick, and, and she was, you know, her mind was slipping, and, and she didn't even know who I was when we were talking on the phone. She kept calling me by other people's names. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm driving. I can tell you right where it was, right there by Stebbins and the police station and, and Route 4. And I'm, I'm praying, and I'm asking, and then God almost, see, he, he speaks to you audibly in your, your, your heart's mind. I mean, you don't hear it like you're hearing me. But when you're in tune, when you're listening, you, you tune out everything but that still small voice, he'll speak to you in your spiritual heart. Not, not the one down here beaten, but the one that's connected with your thoughts, the one that's connected with your mind. And he said, I'm hearing you, but have you thanked me for it? And at that point, I knew right then that I was at a crossroads. And I said, I can take the easy path and I can give God all the reasons why I shouldn't thank him for my mother being sick. Or I could take the right path. And without hesitation, I said, no, I haven't. And you know what? I started thanking him that she was sick. And I, for all the things that she was going through, you say, how did you do that? By the grace of God. You can't, you can't, it, nobody can normally, unless you're, nobody's normally going to give thanks for somebody going through pain and being sick. But when God tells you to do it, it's the right thing to do. It says, in everything, give thanks. That was monumental for me. That was a big deal for me because I've looked on that so many times. And I knew that at that point, I said, I've just taken a step in the right direction. And I grew just a little bit today because I did what God told me to do. I don't have too many of those in my life, sad to say. But that one sticks out. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. Philippians 4.13 now, you're talking about the right things. We're not talking about worldly things. We're not talking about, you know, chasing after the dollar. You can do that if you want, but if that's not what God's called you to do, he's not going to give you the ability or strength to do it if, it, you know, if he doesn't want to. 
He may do it just for a little bit so you can see how far away from him you've gotten. But when you ask to do the right things, like preaching, say, Lord, I'm, I'm, this isn't, I'm not that good at it, but if this is what you want me to do, I'll give you my best and I'll let you take care of it, fill in the blanks. He'll give you the ability to do it. You say, why are you just mentioning preaching? Because that's where I struggle the most. Here at the ADC, I've been doing it for several years now, and I still struggle with it. I personally still feel inadequate, but I'm getting to the point, and I'm realizing now where if God's allowed me to do it, then, okay, then I'm going to do it, and I'm going to give it my best, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to do everything I can to be as prepared as I can be, and then turn the rest over to him and say, God, I've done my best. It's not a whole lot, but it's yours now. Take it above and way beyond anything I'm capable of doing. We're all told to witness. It's, all, it's, it's, it's our job. It's our responsibility. We're, we're supposed to be able to witness to people. So I don't know a lot of Bible. I don't have a degree. That's fine. You have a testimony. You've been saved. You got a testimony. Tell them what, what God did, the, what Jesus Christ did for you, the life he brought you out of. You said, well, I led a, led a boring life before. Well, yeah, I wasn't, me personally, I wasn't a druggie or I wasn't a murderer. I wasn't none of that stuff. I was a Catholic. And, and I know we might seem to, to joke about that sometimes, but I'll tell you what, I was, so steeply, I was so deeply steeped within that religion, I thought I didn't need anything else. I wasn't looking at the blood. I was looking at works. So I was just as, as much bound for hell as, as any, any murderer out there. Why? Because I hadn't accepted Christ. So that's my testimony. And then you get a testimony. Now that part, now that salvation testimony, that doesn't change. It is what it is. You may think of some things, you may add to it, but it, it's, it's going to be the same. But your life since salvation is constantly growing. It's constantly being added to. Your testimony is always growing in that sense. You know, it's real hard. People can, they, they, they spend a lot of time refuting the Bible. And they'll argue against the Bible. But it's really hard to argue against a personal testimony. So share your testimony. Another thing we can do is we can pray directly to God. We can enter in that throne room without intercession from man. We don't need a man in a box with a little white collar on. You know, we, we, we got, we got uh, all the access we need through Jesus Christ. He is the intercessor. He's the only one we need. The Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's seated at the right hand of God right now, interceding for us. God says, man, he, he goofed up. Jesus said, my blood, my blood covered that. Yeah, you're right, son. See, he's interceding. He's taking our, he, he, he's, he's, he's going between us and God. He's the mediator. We need to learn to develop the prayer life. Outside of the Bible, I'd say that the definitive work on, on, on prayer life is, is a book by E.M. Bounds. It was required reading. We went through, through school. Uh, it's a lot of smaller books in one bigger volume. Uh, it's called The Complete Works of E.M. Bounds on Prayer. Not a flashy title, but it's got a lot of good stuff in there. Like I said, outside of the Bible, it's probably the definitive work on, on prayer. How to do it, when you need it, how often. All, I mean, it's just it's full of it. The whole book is full of nothing but prayer. It's something we all have to work on. And just when you think you've arrived, that's when you realize how far away you really are and how much further you need to go. Uh, Caleb knew also that the rumors, uh, he knew what the rumors were, but yet he was unwavering in his request. When he approached Joshua and he said, give me this mountain, see, he didn't, he didn't waver in that thing. Steadfast means to be fast fixed, firm, firmly fixed or established. It means to be constant, resolute, not fickle or wavering. If you ever go to an aircraft that have, or an airport, excuse me, that has general aviation, a lot of the smaller airplanes, um, like the little Cessnas and whatnot, they tie those down. When they park them, they tie them down. There's anchors in the cement, and they tie them things down. Because even just a smaller wind can come by, and they can start moving those aircraft. I've seen it happen. People forgot or didn't tie their planes down, didn't see the need for it. Next thing you know, it scooted that airplane along the road, or along the, the, the ramp there. See, they didn't have it tied down. They didn't have it firmly secured. So when the winds came and the storms came and, and, and things started meeting some opposition, they couldn't stand fast. They just went the direction of the wind. As a Christian, you're not supposed to go the direction of the wind. 
Your anchor is Jesus Christ. Now it's up to you if you're firmly rooted in that anchor or if you just never bother casting that anchor and, and, and using it for what it's supposed to be. If you're never going to use it to give you support, if you're never going to use it to keep you firm and keep you steadfast, if you're never going to use it to keep you steady in those storms. I think of those palm trees. The kids all love, when we go to Florida, they all love palm trees, especially Faith. When we would drive down there, it's like she'd see her first palm tree. She'd just get this big smile on her face. And then we'd be leaving heading north, and as soon as she saw the last palm tree, she, that, that smile would turn the other way, and it would be a frown. She loves, I don't know why, she likes palm trees. But one thing about those palm trees is, notice they don't have the big oaks and the big maple trees down there in Florida and along the coast where you get all those storms. They might, be, they might have a deeper, stronger root system, but see, those, those trees have no ability to flex. Those trees have no ability to bend. Palm tree, however, can bend. Didn't say it moves with the wind. It, it bends a little bit, but it always returns back to where it's supposed to be. When the winds stop, the trees go right back to where they need to be. So when the winds blow, do you, do you break? Or do you just flex a little bit and get back right back where you should be? See, that's, that's, we gotta, this is what, what Caleb did here. He didn't worry about what the others were saying. He didn't care about who, who previously inhabited that land. He didn't care how big they were, how many there were. None of that, none of that mattered. He knew that God had given him a promise. He knew that God would fight the battles. He knew that God was in control. And he knew that God would be there when he needed them. And he knew this. How did he know this? Because every step he took was one step higher, one step harder. One step, one step he was more tired than the one before. He said, I'm going to rely on God to get me to the final step and get me to the final battle and to give me this land that he promised me. Then we'll close here. At the end of that verse, same verse 12, If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Your strength comes from the Lord. Let's, let's turn to two verses. Um, Habakkuk 319. Uh, let's see here. Habakkuk 319. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Well, let's go to Isaiah 40, 31. just want to hit a couple of these verses. I think it's important to see where our strength comes from. It's one thing for me to say it, but when I can read it out of the Bible, it just gives a little more, uh, a, a little more significance because you, you know it, it's, it's God saying it, not me. Isaiah 40, 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So I talked a little bit about it in Sunday school, but, but doubting the Lord, doubting what He can do for you, doubting what, what He says He is going to do in you, for you, with you, that doubt is a sin. When you doubt that God can or will keep His promises or complete the work He's begun in you, then essentially you're calling him a liar. My question is, why are you afraid to do something for God? Caleb wasn't afraid. He met that challenge head on. He had all the assurances he needed. So do you. So do all of us. If God's put something in our path, he'll give us what we need to get through it. Now here's the funny thing. A lot of people, they'll take risks in, in improving the bottom line of their stock portfolio. They'll take chances and they'll take risks to advance their career. If you ever go shopping on a Black Friday, that's a big risk. That's crazy. That's why, that's why online is so good. You don't have to get on that madness. See, people will take risks in that regard. But yet when it comes to the Lord, all of a sudden they become real cautious. It's like, whoa, 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 I don't know. Hey, hold on. I'll, I'll take a risk for the world, but I don't know that I want to take a risk for God. I'm kind of comfortable right here, and it might cause me to lose something. It might cause me to put this Isaac on the altar that I really am not ready to give up just yet. See, it might cost me something, and well, I've done used it all up in the world, and I don't have nothing left to give God. 
So that, I can't afford that cost. See, it makes you hesitant, makes you afraid, makes you cautious. I think of Peter right after Jesus was arrested. The Bible says he followed him from afar. And we know how that turned out. He denied him. He was cussing, carrying on, getting angry, getting mad. You know, I can't help but think if he had stayed just a little bit closer to Jesus Christ, maybe he wouldn't have had the opportunity to do all those things that he shouldn't have done. You know, we, can, we, we should be the same way. You get a little bit closer to Jesus Christ, and a lot of those opportunities to sin, a lot of those opportunities to act out won't, provide, won't present themselves because we'll be close enough to him, and he'll protect us. He'll keep us from those things. Now, I know Peter was afraid, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not up here to... to, to Lambase Peter, nothing like that. I know he was shaken up by the events. What I think is curious is we have the written record of what happened. We have it right here. We have the written record of what occurred three days later when that stone was rolled away and the body was no longer there. Jesus Christ had risen. It was an empty tomb. We have the written record. Furthermore, we have the written record of what will happen in the future. Now, you can say, well, Peter was with them, and he witnessed all the healings, and he witnessed all the miracles, and he witnessed everything. Well, you have his book in your hands, and you still don't trust him. So don't be so hypocritical and so quick to judge Peter when you do the same, very same thing. You got all the proof you need right here, yet you still trust in the world over Jesus Christ. I think it's odd how people will, will trust him with their salvation, it's real easy. Oh, yeah, I trusted God. I talked to a guy the other day. Yeah, I trusted him. I asked him, I said, point blank, I asked him, I need to know, are you saved? He said, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I trusted him. It's funny how people are so flippant about that. They'll say, they'll quickly so, say it, but yet, for the things of this world, they're, they're a little less willing to give over to him. They're a little less willing to trust the Lord with the things of this world, the physical things, the tangible things. They'll trust them with the salvation, but they won't trust them with their pocketbook or their bank account or their physical life. See, he came first as a, as, a, as a servant. Next time he's coming back, he's going to come back as a conquering king. There's our confidence right there. You say, well, how are you going to overcome these things? The, the, the proof that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back as a conquering king. And no matter what we go through, it's only going to be for a short time. And he's going to give us the victory. We have, we have victory over the grave. Oh, death, where is thy sting? It don't affect us. We, we will go through a physical death. But to me, that's just the beginning of the real life right there. I mean, we're going to be leaving all of this behind. Now think about it, leaving all of this behind. What really are you going to be leaving behind? When you're in the presence of Jesus Christ, when you're on streets of gold, you're on streets of gold. They kill for that stuff down here. Up there, it's... Nothing more than building material. That means nothing to God. It has no value other than to pave his streets with it. So what are we leaving behind in all reality? Nothing. Caleb wasn't concerned with who or how many inhabited the land or even how big they were. Uh, doubting God caused the Israelites to wander 40 years. We talked about that. The other 10 spies turned the people against them, said, no, we just can't do this. And it cost them 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. But in verse 8, Caleb said, But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And we don't have to turn there, but if you, if you read Joshua 24, 15, Joshua, and I mean to say Joshua, Joshua said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, they purposed in their heart they were going to serve God, no matter what. That's who they were going to serve. We have that same decision to make. Who are you going to serve? No one can make that choice for you. you need to pur I like that phrase over in Daniel. It says, Daniel, he purposed in his heart. That, that, that means a lot to me because it means that he sat and he thought about it and he, he made a decision, he made a choice, he took the hard path, what he knew was going to be the hard path, what he knew was going to be the, the straight and narrow, and he said, I'm going to purpose to serve God, purpose in my heart to do that which pleases God. If you want to serve God, it's as simple as serving Him. He'll, 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 he'll gladly take you. But see, you've got a purpose in your heart to do so. I can't make you do it. 
Pastor can't make you do it. Nobody in this room can make you do it. And Jesus Christ himself will not make you do it. You have to do it freely and you have to do it willingly. When General Patton got over into the European theater, his mission was to get to Berlin. That's where he wanted to be. He went out and he, he purchased some maps of Europe. And he wanted detailed maps. He wanted topographical maps. He wanted to know where the ditches, where the hills were. He wanted to know the terrain. He wanted to know the roads. He, wanted, he did not want to be caught unawares. He did not want to be caught off guard. He wanted to know what was the, the, the best way to get to Berlin. And when those maps arrived, he was upset because they didn't go far enough. See, they only took him a few miles down the road. He wanted maps that provided him the information he needed to get all the way to Berlin. See, he wasn't willing to stop short of the goal. He wasn't willing to stop just a few miles down the road. He wanted to go all the way. And he wanted to be prepared every step of the way. So what's your goal? Hatton's goal was to get to Berlin. What's your goal today in regards to Jesus Christ? What's your mission? What do you want to do for him? Are you willing to be sidetracked? No, it was a silly little illustration about General Patton, but he wasn't. He wanted to know where all the roads were. He wanted to know when it came to a turn or a fork in the road, which, which path led quickest to Berlin. What would be the best strategic route to get there? See, we walk through life blindly. That stuff doesn't bother us. We have a goal, but we don't really work to achieve it. We just figure, well, you know, if it's God's will, of course if it's God's will. But shouldn't you put forth a little bit of effort? Shouldn't you, shouldn't you do something along the way? Should you just be idle? Should you take the easy path? No, you should be serving the Lord and doing what he would have you to do and inquiring of him, finding out, preparing yourself for the obstacles that are ahead. You don't want to just stumble along, just blindly limp along. You want to be prepared. You want, to, you want God to work in you. There's always going to be choices to make. The question is, which path will you take? The wide, easy path that the world would have you to follow or the straight and narrow path that will lead to God and his will. You know, even after you're saved, it, that, that, that verse doesn't just mean uh, salvation to getting into heaven. It's after salvation because you're going to have a lot of choices to make. There's always going to be a right and a wrong. There's always going to be the world will make you believe there's gray areas. There's no gray areas in God's word. It's right or it's wrong. You've got to have a boldness like Caleb did to do the things of God. And when you, when you ask, when you ask something for God, of God, make sure you're asking for the right things. Make sure you're asking for the right reasons. Don't be led by the world or the headlines. I think a lot of people's decisions are based on what they see on TV or what they read in the paper rather than what they read in the Bible. They'd rather let the, 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 the headlines scare them, the media scare them into making the choice. Be steadfast in your service to the Lord. Sometimes you might have to bend a little bit, but don't break. And always go back to where you need to be. Don't break, don't give up, stand fast and firm. Have confidence in the Lord. Don't be wishy-washy. You know, when, you, when you make a decision, stick by it. Make the right one and then stick by it. Don't waver. If he says it, then you can trust it. You can take it to the bank. Don't let the fears of this world. I like how Caleb, he, he heard what was said, and it didn't really bother him anything or didn't bother him at all. All he really cared about was getting what God had told him that he would give him, and nothing was going to get in the way. Brother, if you've got a song. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I pray for Brother Andrews. He's going to be preaching tonight, Lord, and I just pray you just bring us all back safely. Uh, again, I just pray, Lord, that you, uh, your word was a help to us today, Lord, and get something from it. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.